Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. Welcome to week 18 of Is It Worth It? The film review podcast where we go out of our way to try and see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. My name is Craig Fields. And I'm David Long. David, what have we got coming up on week 18? Well, Craig, it's an action-packed show this week and we will be kicking it off by reviewing Christopher Robin, the Walt Disney adventure starring Ewan McGregor, Hayley Atwell and the ever-wonderful Winnie the Pooh. I'll also be reviewing Slender Man, starring Julia Goldani-Tellez, Joey King, and Jazz Sinclair. I'll be taking a look at The Festival, that's starring Joe Thomas and Hannah Twinton, and we'll both be taking a look at Black Klansman, so Spike Lee returns to direct John Washington and Adam Driver. As well as this, we'll be reviewing The Happy Time Murders. Brian Henson brings us an adult version of The Muppets, starring Melissa McCarthy and Elizabeth Banks. And finally, Craig, we will be finishing the show by reviewing The Spy Who Dumped Me, with Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. Yes, uh, as well as that, we'll have a few other features on the show. Our usual box office rundown, there's news, and uh, is it worth it? DVDs. DVDs, DVDs. Yeah, DVDs or new releases. Um, but on top of that, we have an interview with uh, Sev Ohanian, who's the producer and co-writer of Searching, which was uh, a really great interview that we recorded a couple of days ago for the show. Um, I think you'll find it uh, a very interesting uh, interview. Yes, that's right, Craig. And if our listeners do notice a slight difference in audio today, that's simply because we've recorded the show in two parts and in two locations, uh, because Craig has been uh, unwell, but he's bucked up the courage to to come and get stuck in today yeah. for our wonderful listeners. Yeah, I have uh, had a slight cold. David referred to it as the man flu. Which... Well, yes, and then we had an argument about man flu and medical definitions of the flu. So, and... See, I, I believe that man flu is, doesn't really exist. It's just what men no, I, exaggerate I, I, that they have. I also agree, but I believe there was a scientific study that suggested when men get the flu, it can take them longer to recover than women. Okay. I'd love to see what women think of this. <laughs> Everyone's thinking, what oh, scientific God. study was that? Yeah. Anyway, we've got an action-packed show coming up, as we have explained, and we're going to kick it off, if you're still listening, we haven't offended anyone, with <laughs> the box office rundown. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Yes, that's right. We're taking a look at the Box Office Rundown for the weekend of August 24th to the 26th, 2018. David, kick us off at number 10. Yes, Craig, at number 10, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's been out for four weeks. It's taken 15.5 million, and I thought this was a brilliant film. I thought it was really good fun, some great action, and also just a nice little break before we have the next Avengers film, a, a more traditional, light-hearted superhero film. Definitely. 
Uh, in at number nine, we have Hotel Transylvania 3 Summer Vacation that's been in the box office for five weeks and has grossed 16.1 million pounds. Uh, I, I actually really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, David, on the other hand, did not. I mean, I, I, I it wasn't awful, but I, I didn't enjoy it. And I certainly don't think it should have taken 16.1 million. That's more than Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I, and I don't think that reflects... The, the quality in in the two films. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is far superior. I, I think you're right, um, but I think it's the age of the audience and the time of release as well. Summer um, holidays, smart move. Um, but above that, at number eight, we have Mission Impossible Fallout. That's been out for five weeks. It's taken 21.9 million, and this is an absolutely fantastic film. Almost flawless, to be honest. Mm. Uh, Tom Cruise brings it. It's good pace, good action, uh, good comedy. It's it. It was really, really good fun to see, and we saw it in IMAX 3D. Yes, it was uh, definitely a really, really great film. Um, in at number seven, we have the Spy Who Dumped Me. That's been out for one week. Uh, it's grossed 1.1 million pounds, uh, and we're going to be reviewing that on today's show. Mm, indeed, and we'll also be reviewing what's at number six. And me and Craig have been having a bit of an argument about how to pronounce this film. Is it Black Klansman or is it Black K Klansman? Because you see there is a K slipped or in there. Or is it Black Klansman? <laughs> yeah, Black Klansman. We're not 100% sure, but whatever, uh, however you pronounce it, I should say, it is straight in at number six. 1.6 million in its opening weekend. We're reviewing it today and listen out for this review because I think this film could be quite, something quite special. Mm. So in at number seven, we have The Equalizer 2. No, it's number five. Did I say number six? You said number seven. Did I? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in at number five, we have The Equalizer 2, and that's been out for two weeks, and it's taken £4.5 million. Um, I think we both thought this was really, really good, didn't we? Um, Yeah, it was was solid. I think Denzel Washington was superb, and and he really made the film. It's his first ever sequel, uh, and I simply think that's because he loves playing this character, and the audiences love seeing this character, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a third. Um, and above that, Craig, at number four, we have The Incredibles 2. It's been out for seven weeks. It smashed the box office. It's taken 51.9 million. It's a fantastic film. Go and see it. What a huge amount of money. It is a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 a brilliant film. It's it's on par with the first, and some people are saying it's even better. So yeah, if I you agree. haven't seen this, Go get the kids it. there before they get dragged back to school. <laughs> uh, in at number three, we have The Meg. Uh, that's been in the box office for three weeks. It's grossed £11.7 million pounds, uh, and took one5 at the weekend, which is why it is above The Incredibles 2. Mm. And uh, yeah, I we actually both strangely really, really enjoyed this film. Mm. Um, definitely a lot better than we expected. Yeah. Um, I mean, the trailer looked ridiculous. Just, my God, it's Megalodon. But actually, the film was far more promising than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't amazing, but it, it was... What it was, it was entertaining and... Uh, and enjoyable, yeah. And enjoyable. Um, above that, at number two, Craig, we have Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. It's been out six weeks. It's taken £60 million. Um, it remains very, very popular. Not quite as popular as The Greatest Showman, but I don't think anyone expected that to take as much money as it did. I mean, I think after that film, The Greatest Showman was worth more than Bill Gates, I think. It was just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. But... Um, a very good follow-up to the original um, 10 years later. And if you haven't seen it, uh, well worth going to see. And what do we have at number one, Craig? So in at number one, we have Christopher Robin that's been in the box office for two weeks. It's grossed £2.1 million. Pounds. 
Um, and there's a took and it took 2.1 million pounds at the weekend. I'm not sure how that works out. Mm. Seeing it's been out for two weeks or it's been in the box office for two weeks, that's probably pre-release sales mm. as well uh, and previews. Because I we went to, well, I well we both went to the uh, the early showing charity for charity, screening. yeah, which yeah. was a really lovely screening actually. Yeah, and a superb charity as well. Um, so David, would you like to do the 10 to 1 countdown, please? Yes, at number 10, it Ant-Man and the Wasp. Nine, Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation. Eight, Mission Impossible Fallout. Seven, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Six, The Black K. Glansman. Five, The Equalizer 2. Four, The Incredibles 2. Three, The Meg. Two, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And at the top of the pile, it's Ewan McGregor starring in Christopher Robin. So our first review of Week 18 is Christopher Robin. So what is this film about? Well, Christopher Robin has grown up. He's now a grown man with his own family and with responsibilities. Hardened by war, Christopher, played by Ewan McGregor, has long forgotten about his adventures with Pooh and friends. When he can no longer go on a weekend away with his family to the home where he grew up, it's Pooh who ventures to him in search of his friends and to remind Christopher that there's more to life than work. Uh, so we've got a clip here which perfectly sums up that synopsis. Uh, so we'll go to that first and then we'll go straight into the review. Oh. What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do indeed. Pooh? Christopher Robin. No! No, 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 no. You, you can't be here. <laughs> this can't be happening. Oh, God, stress. It's not stress. God, I'm stressed. It's poor. So exhausted. Evelyn warned me. I like to be warmed. Warmed and cosy. I've cracked. <laughs> I've totally cracked. I don't see any cracks. A few wrinkles, maybe. So that clip is where Pooh uh, first appears to Christopher Robin. Um, and it really is an adorable clip. And for me, what really stands out there is Winnie the Pooh. For me, I know the film is called Christopher Robin, uh, but rightly so, in my opinion, I think Pooh uh, actually uh, steals the film. I think he's he's just so wonderful, uh, so adorable, a bear of limited brain, but big heart and... I went into this film with really, really high expectations. Uh, Craig knows that um, I absolutely love Winnie the Pooh. Uh, for those of you who follow us on Twitter, you'd have seen that it was my birthday a few weeks ago, and I actually had Winnie the Pooh wrapping paper, <laughs> <coughs> um, which uh, shows how much uh, I like Winnie the Pooh. I absolutely love uh, the books. Um, I really, really love um, the film The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which came out in 19... 19- 77 but was then released on dvd in 2002 uh, i was about 11 at the time and my brother was about f- uh, five so i have really great memories of watching that as a child so i went into this really really wanting something that was absolutely going to blow me away and the truth is it didn't it didn't blow me away it didn't knock me out i mean i wanted to cry in this film and there were moments where i felt really emotional at a number of points but it just didn't take me as far yeah. as I wanted to go. Now, 
that's not necessarily a criticism of the film. I've possibly gone in with um, too many uh, childhood memories, too much sentiment for for, for um, what the film was like for me as a child. But it didn't quite have that knockout punch that I was hoping for. But nonetheless, uh, I thought this was a really adorable, heartwarming uh, family film. But a film that I would say is more suitable for adults than it is for children. Because I know you, in particular, Craig, thought there was a slight problem with pace in this film. Yeah, I mean, the pace was uh, very up and down. I mean, the beginning of the film started very heartwarming. It did have that little bit of an emotional um, punch to it. Um, but then immediately after... Uh, we see Ewan McGregor come into uh, into play with uh, well, playing Christopher Robin. It just felt a little bit wooden and mm. the pace seemed to slow down. Um, we got these occasional um, depictions of Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin in cartoon form. Mm. Um, and it just kept going. More like drawings, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah, sketches, yeah. yeah. Yeah, these sketches of the original sort of um, um, a version of, of Winnie the Pooh. But they kept kept throwing that in, in in the beginning just a little bit too much uh, you just wanted the film to just go straight into to the, to the live action style um a bit too much of that um and then and then the performances between Chris, uh between Ewan McGregor and Hayley Atwell were very wooden um when that should have been a little bit more emotional um mm, I know was, what you mean yeah um I I'm, I it could it, I think it was deliberate um but didn't quite work for me um yeah, do you, see, do you get what I mean, don't you? Yeah, no, I totally understand. Um, and it, it's almost like a, a, a modern-day Pan, if you remember Pan with Robin Williams. So we've got yeah. Peter Pan when he's grown up. Yep. The, the problem with doing a film like this is that when you are an adult, it is hard to have that same emotional connection with a, with a bear as when you are a child. So it is dangerous and it is risky, and therefore I commend them for making this film. And I think Ewan McGregor is very, very good. But one of the problems is that for quite a large section of the film, Christopher Robin isn't actually a particularly likeable character. And that's because... Uh, the wars obviously had an impact on him. Work has, has really taken over his life and he's lost that emotional relationship with his daughter and with his wife. And that's where the film really takes off is when Pooh comes and reminds him of those childhood memories and reminds him that there's more to life than work and there's more to life than money. Um, and, and that's where the film really takes off. And in the last 30, 45 minutes of the film, the pace really picks up. Um, the story really develops and I just think they should have gone that way a little bit sooner. Yeah, bit it, the, the, the film took a while to build up. Now, for an adult audience, for someone like myself who likes a drama, I quite enjoyed that slow burner. But for, for kids, and there were quite a lot of children in the screening we were in, they were getting a little bit restless. Um, a bit agitated, which yeah. which is a warning. Um, but for me, this this film is targeted more at an adult audience than it is for children. And for an adult audience, it reminds you of Winnie the Pooh and the uh, f for me in particular the fantastic childhood memories. And therefore, is it is a success. It's just not as wonderful as I was hoping it was going to be. Mm. Um, technically wise, the uh, the animation and the puppetry of Winnie the Pooh, uh, Tigger, and, and and friends was fantastic, phenomenal. It was it was really well done, um, really beautifully done, um, and the interaction between uh, Ewan McGregor uh, and 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 Pooh was was brilliant. Um, really worked very very well. Um, 
I'm not completely sure how they achieved it, um, but I think it's a mixture of CGI and puppetry. Um, and, I, and, and for me, it worked really, really well. Yeah, um, one of the things I said to you is that I too am not sure because Pooh is definitely real there, but mm. there's also an element of CGI. So I wonder how difficult it was for you and McGregor to engage with Winnie the Pooh. Was he being fed lines? Was he literally just delivering them to a stuffed bear? Is that why perhaps his performance appears at times um, a little bit wooden? And See, does it appear mm -hmm. slightly wooden because there is that such a strong emotional attachment to to Pooh, who is voiced by Jim Cummings, um, who does a fantastic Winnie the Pooh voice. Yeah. Really wonderful. See, I I don't think the performance was wooden between Pooh and and uh, Christopher Robin. I felt the performance was wooden between um, Hayley Atwell's character um, and McGregor's character. Mm. Their, their, their early on interaction in the film was wooden, but it <clears throat> I think that's part of the story in a almost. way that's what they were they were going for that angle but it didn't quite work mm. i know what you mean their husband and wife their relationship felt off but really off almost awkward and if that's what they were pitching for it definitely worked but in a sense it didn't work something didn't quite seem right yeah, yeah, yeah. with that relationship I mean, of of the era that it's set in perhaps those relationships were tarnished mm. by the war and and you had uh, men coming back from the war not able to speak into their wives of yeah. the horrors of what happened mm. and you do get that sense but at the same time it it didn't fit in this story mm. um you you felt like it, it the goodbyes could have been a little bit more emotional a hug mm. could have happened but no I, I i can see where the director's going with that i, mm. I really can but I mean, I'm I'm going to see this again with my parents. Um, I know my mum's really, really excited to see this. So I am looking forward to seeing it again. Because um, like I said, it was really, really bigged up for me the first time. Mm. Uh, and I don't want people to listen to this review and think I'm saying this is a bad film. This isn't a bad film. Um, a football analogy, for example. I was going into this film expecting it to be like a 5-0 thumping. Um, <laughs> and it turned out to be, you know, a hard-fought 2-0 win. Mm. Um, so it's still a win, but it, it just didn't knock me... Out of the park. Yeah, yeah, you know, it didn't knock me over like I was hoping. But yeah, nonetheless, yeah. I think um, uh, the the voice of Pooh uh, and, and Eeyore as well, um, some quite dark humour with Eeyore... Um, I think they might have overplayed that a bit. Actually, there was quite a lot of Eeyore. So yeah. we got, I, you know, we got the idea that he we was did. depressed. We didn't need to have it so much. So that joke did wear thin a little. But overall, to bring Winnie the Pooh onto the the big screen and into the real world, um, I thought it was it was it was a solid four out of five. But I was just hoping that it would be five yeah. out of five. Um, if we look at uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin as well, I'm not sure you haven't seen this uh, no. this film, but I have. Um, I watched it recently. It's available on streaming services. Um, Goodbye Christopher Robin is like a biopic of the author who wrote the books um, and the life of Christopher Robin, who was actually uh, the, the the writer's son. Um, that film was was pretty. It was it was okay. It was good, but it it it's a completely different film to to this one, and and this one stands out much further i mean the lead role was played by dominal gleason um you know you've he's a great actor but it, he almost didn't fill the boots um of the writer that that well um, um for for another um 
Winnie the Pooh style film or biopic of some sort, it didn't hit the mark. This hit the mark a lot more. Mm. Um, it was what the audience wanted rather than a biopic. Mm. So, um, David, Christopher Robin, is it worth it? Yes. Um, this is definitely, definitely worth seeing uh, at the cinema. Um, I think for adults, you can 100% go and watch this on your own. If anything, it's probably a film for adults to watch on their own um, because you want to give it your full attention. Younger children might struggle with this film only because the pace is quite slow at the start mm. and it doesn't have the um you know the bright fun fast paced uh, entertainment that the Winnie the Pooh cartoons do yeah um so many adventures of Winnie the Pooh uh buy that on DVD because if you haven't seen it it is wonderful um but if you want to go to the cinema um go and see this because Winnie the Pooh is just a fantastic bear i mean i would love i would love to interview him for this for this podcast just get him on the phone and ask him what it was like being in this film because he's just i mean he's got no brain whatsoever but that doesn't matter he's, he's got a heart of gold and you just want to cuddle him and it's 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 a lovely film um and like i said when i see it for the second time i might like it more i just went in with such big expectations um that it didn't quite meet them but nonetheless brilliant film go and check it out yeah i agree i agree If you've scrolled through your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or done anything remotely connected to the internet, you've probably seen an ad for a subscription service. Something like Dollar Shave Club, 5-4 Club, The Birch Box, and many, many more. You may be wondering, what is the big deal about subscription boxes? Well, Package Media is here to tell you all about them, but not just tell you about the box, but the person behind the package. Come join us and listen in as we interview the creators behind these businesses so that you can understand not only the product, but the passion behind their services. Come check us out at Packaged Media. We are subscribed. We are packaged. Welcome back. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. It's now time for a bit of a special feature uh, on this week's episode, as we have just interviewed Sev Ohanian um, from Los Angeles. Obviously, there's a big uh, eight-hour time difference, so thank you very much, Sev, for taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to talk to us. Sev is the writer and producer of the fantastic film Searching, which is out in UK cinemas on August 31st. For those of you who didn't listen, our full review is available on week 16 of Is It Worth It? But I will tell you now, it's a superb film, definitely worth seeing when it comes out. It's a very unique film, both in style and substance and cast. Uh, and we've just spoken to Sev, a really nice guy, a great interview. Uh, and this is what he had to say about his new film, Searching, which is out on August 31st. Uh, so we'd like to welcome Sev to the show. Thank you for joining us on week 18 of Is It Worth It? Um, so you collaborated with Anish Chaganti on this film. Uh, you both co-wrote the film, you produced the film, and Anish directed it. What is Searching about for those who haven't heard our review on week 16? Great, thanks. First of all, thank you guys so much for having me. This is really cool to be on your show. Uh, you said it exactly right. Uh, Anish and I co-wrote the script together. He directed it. I produced it. And obviously, there was a lot of other people who were involved. But Searching is a thriller about a father searching for his missing daughter. 
<clears throat> and the way he's going about looking for her is he goes through her computer to try and find clues. And in the process of trying to find clues, he begins to learn things about her that he never imagined he could learn. And the crazy thing about our film Searching is, while it is a thriller and it's very traditional in its story, it's a mystery, it's a whodunit, it's also told in an incredibly untraditional way in that it all takes place mm. entirely on screens and devices. So, so where did the inspiration come from for Searching or, or how did the idea come about? So it's kind of a crazy story. Um, you know, Anish and I had met in film school and <clears throat> I, you know, I, get, I went on to start producing a lot of independent feature films. My first movie I was involved in is a movie called Fruitvale Station that did really well here in America. And Anish and I first collaborated on a short film that was shot on Google Glasses. Do you guys remember those? Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they've definitely a uh, rest in peace to the Google Glasses. But <laughs> we, and we, we were asked to, for the Google Glass project, to come up with a short film that would serve as a tech demo. Because at the time, Google was trying to prove that the glasses, which had a camera on them, were like viable filmmaking tools. And by the way, like they're not. <laughs> but <laughs> like the camera, if you turned it on for more than 30 seconds, it would burn a hole in your forehead because it was so hot. But um, we, you know, we, took, we took that opportunity and you know, we were like young emerging filmmakers at the time. Anisha had basically done nothing. And we, uh, we shot a two and a half minute short film, kind of like a commercial. And it was um, a crazy idea that we had come up with that involved sending Anish on a plane all the way to India where he's from. And our entire budget, by the way, was like $1,500. And we spent the entire budget on just this one plane ticket. Wow. And we shot this video and we somehow were able to get it to Google's attention, like the real Google's attention. And it all worked out perfectly. We were able to release the video on Mother's Day 2014. And within 24 hours, the video had you know over 2 million views and it changed our lives. Like that video resulted in us getting on the news. I was put on some fancy Hollywood lists and all sorts of things happened. But the most important thing that happened was Google reached out to Anish and asked him to just come and work for them in their New York office where he spent two years writing and directing commercials for them. Wow. So it was a really, really cool, like happy ending to this like crazy opportunity. While all of that was happening, Anish and I were working together every night to try and write screenplays. We had written, <clears throat> Excuse me. We had written one screenplay that was a hundred million dollar plus, you know, movie that was like it's like a heist movie about stealing an animal. I won't waste your time with that one, but basically, like it was the worst thing two writers should write uh, as, as you know, as beginners, like especially for something for each to direct for me to produce. But in the process of doing that, we had really gotten to know how each other worked, and we really we were vibing together. So while he was at Google and while I was producing my really small independent films, we spent every night working together to come up with an idea for a film we could write that he could direct and I could produce. But suddenly I was invited to have a meeting at a filmmaker's office. And that filmmaker was a Russian director named Timur Bekmamatov. He directed um, Wanted with Angelina Jolie a couple years ago. He, most recently he directed the Ben-Hur remake. Um, and when I had a meeting at this company, it was just a general meeting, like, hey, nice to meet you kind of meeting. They had just released a film called Unfriended. And this is, I think, three years ago now. And Unfriended, if you guys are familiar with it, is a horror film that also takes place on computer screens. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah, we have. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've not we've not only heard of it, we've just uh, we've recently seen Unfriended Dark Web as well, which is the follow up oh, to the cool. original. So we're, right, right, right. We're aware of the, of the style. Yeah. Cool. So so when I had that meeting with them, Unfriended had just come out and it had done really good business for them in theaters, mm. and they were really eager to do more projects like that, projects that would take place on screens. So I was like, yo, like my writing partner directs commercials at Google, like he'd be a perfect fit for you guys. I found a way to get Anish into a, a follow-up meeting and they asked us if we would be willing to pitch them a short film idea, not a feature. Because at the time they were really trying to develop a, a whole movie that would have like eight mini movies in there, like a, like an anthology film. And maybe all we can we could pitch, write, direct, produce one of those shorts. We were really excited by that opportunity because we weren't really enthused about doing a whole feature. It felt like it could be problematic and gimmicky. And in my mind, if I can get a niche to direct a short, a short film, like, you know, with this style, it'll maybe get us enough of a profile to then go and write our own movie and direct and produce it. So we came up with the idea for searching as an eight minute short. It would be a, a short film about, a, you know, in our minds, it would be like you're watching somebody log on to a laptop, but they don't know the password and they try passwords and passwords and passwords and they keep getting it wrong. They click on the hint and they break in. And you start to suspect, is this, a, is this a stalker? Is this like a creepy ex-boyfriend? Or this is clearly not the person's laptop. You realize the laptop belongs to a teenage girl. And then you realize it's actually not, neither of those people. It's actually her father. And why has her father broken in? Why has he invaded her privacy? Then it hits you. She's gone missing. And he's trying to find out where she is. So we saw it as like this really high concept, elevated eight-minute short that would maybe end with a really cool cliffhanger. And that's it. We pitched, we sent like a, we sent like a five page PDF that we sent to them and they asked us to come in for a follow-up meeting. We went in to meet with them again and to our surprise, it was like a boardroom. There was like executives and financiers, which all kind of felt a little bit strange for, you know, a short. And they told us the bad news, which was that they don't want to make the short. And we were <laughs> kind of bummed. And they said instead they'd rather take our idea and then make it into a movie. And that I could produce it, Anish could direct it as his first ever movie, and they would pay the both of us to write the full screenplay, and they would finance the whole movie. And they're like, what do you guys say? And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, Like this is such a great opportunity. But then Anish said no. <laughs> he, literally, he literally was like, no, no, no. And I just like, in my mind, I was exploding like, what? I made all this happen. <clears throat> I brought this kid to this opportunity. He has... No movies. He's so ungrateful. I was trying to spin it. I was going to be like, you know, he means no way or he means no problem. <laughs> like, mm. but, but Anish, you know, and I, I don't blame him because his concern was the same that our concern was already. Like he didn't want to make a movie on a computer screen because A, that just felt gimmicky. Like how could you take that seriously, especially as his first movie? And B, he, you know, Unfriended was a hit. And this would have really felt like we were trying to chase Unfriended and trying to do what they had already done. So he was like, he said no. I, being the good producer, was like, I think what Anish means is we're going to talk about it and get back <laughs> to you guys. And Anish was like, that's not what I, I'm like, that's exactly what you meant, Anish. All right, thank you guys. And Anish and I spent like probably two months um, just going back and forth, you know, like while he was doing his commercials and I was doing my movies, like, hey, is there any way we could see a version of writing this as a feature? And we kept pitching each other various ideas and, you know, nothing was really sticking. Again, our goal was to try and do it in a way that would be elevated and, and emotional and some, something special. 
And then one day he texted me saying, dude, I just thought of the greatest opening scene for a movie. And I texted him saying, yo, I just thought of the greatest opening scene. We called each other and we literally pitched each other the same exact opening sequence for the film. So you guys have seen the movie at this point. Mm. Um, and I won't spoil anything for your viewers, but it's very much what we kind of call like a Pixar's up meets a Google commercial yeah. opening montage. And it, it was immediately a way that we could imagine that this film could work in the sense that it would make you care about the characters. You'd be invested in their lives it would elevate it beyond being a gimmick. And God willing, the goal was that after those first five minutes, audiences would just forget that what they're watching is happening on a screen. Mm. So with that in mind, we suddenly felt this spark and we're like, wait, and then the next scene and then wait, that scene. And almost immediately we came up with the entire overall plan for the movie. We then put together an, like a 20 page pitch packet, sent it back to them. They accepted it. They, we got into a little bit of a deal with them. Anish quit his job at Google. And we kind of started embarking on this adventure to make this movie. I think that was December 2015. Mm. And, you know, we premiered it in January 20, January 2018. So, yeah, it was like a good two-year process. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you say about that emotional connection at the start. Because when me and Craig watched it, myself in particular, when I saw that first seven minutes, that really, that really got to me. That, you know, the way you guys put that together in that montage so quickly i had an emotional connection with the character and obviously with the story the way it unfolded i felt immediately uh, invested uh, in your film um so you you guys pulled that off superbly um but in light of what you said i was, I was just going to ask you obviously you spoke about it being shot through a computer screen through various devices what was the main challenge in producing a movie like that totally um and by the way thank you for your thoughts uh it's a, the whole thing was a challenge, you know, like I think making any film period, especially what we were making, which was an independent film, you know, Sony is releasing the movie now, but they acquired it once it was done. It's impossible. It literally every time feels like you've pulled off a miracle just to complete a movie. It's already hard as it is. But in our case, we were trying to make a movie that had never quite been done before. Mm. So just to give you just to give you the context. Because Timor's company, Baslev's, you know, as you guys saw the new Unfriended movie, they're they're really committed to making more and more movies on screens. Like it's become an MO for their company. Yeah. And specifically when we when we first came on board to like direct and produce a searching, they actually handed us a, a like a like a little uh, Bible of like how to make movies on screens. And they had three three commandments, three rules in particular, and they were that one, uh, their movies should always have the entire action unfolding on one big wide shot. That two, they should always be real time. There should never be any like changing in days and stuff. And the wide shot obviously means no zooming, no nothing. Mm. And three, that the whole movie should take place on only one person's computer. And this is kind of like the rules that they had set out. And we were just immediately like, why? Like, we want to make something that's going to feel cinematic. And it almost reminded me of those rules. And this is how Unfriended is made, by the way, both of them. It reminds me of like the earliest, earliest examples of real cinema where it would always be like a camera. I'm sure you guys have seen this. Like it's like a black and white camera with a bunch of people performing in front of it, but that's it. Mm. And we wanted to evolve these computer movies to like the modern day, utilize the past 100 years worth of cinematic techniques that have been developed. And um, in doing that, you know, because the unfriended movies are made primarily 
with um, screen recording, meaning that they literally have somebody performing on a computer screen and highlighting and you know just moving the mouse and all the stuff that you see happening that's all kind of being recorded it's a, it's a, it's a performance because our movie searching was going to have I'm sorry this is getting really technical but i imagine your audience probably likes the stuff like because our movie has zooms and cuts and edits and montages and everything in between and there's a handheld shake and film grain and like all of that we couldn't just screen record it wouldn't it wouldn't have enough of a high resolution so what we ended up having to do was we had to basically recreate the entire internet one pixel at a time. And we didn't have a, an enormous budget where we could hire like an entire army of VFX people. It was really done by our two editors, Will Merrick and Nick Johnson, who were the primary creative editors. They were their own assistants. They did all the graphic design. We were able to bring on a small company called Neon Robotic who kind of helped with the really technical stuff. But we, we, we knew we were embarking on a journey that would involve really, really technical and creative geniuses, and we were lucky we had them. To give you guys an idea of the scale, uh, you've seen the film. It's got you know aerial shots, car chases, mm -hmm. you know like lakes and stunts and, and crowds. We've seen an entire childhood in five minutes. All of that stuff we did in a 13-day shoot. Wow. Just 13 days. Like that that's kind of gives you a good idea of like the scale of this production. But we edited the film for over a year and a half. And one of the tricks that we kind of used to help us in editing was, have you guys ever seen this film from like 10 years ago called Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? It was a revolutionary movie at the time in which it stars Jude Law and Angelina Jolie. And that entire film was shot on green screen, kind of like Sin City or 300. Um, this is like the first of those movies. And the way those filmmakers had done that film, I just always remember watching like the DVD special features when I saw that a long time ago, was that they actually went and shot the entire movie starring like their roommates in the roles that would later be acted by Angelina Jolie and Jude Law. They shot that version of the movie. They spent a year in post-production adding all the CGI and the backdrops and all the visual effects. And then they took that entire cut of the movie screened it to the actors like Angelina and Jude Law and used, used that version to show these big actors, you can be in this movie. And then when they came on, they just had to shoot a couple days of only like Angelina mm. Jolie and stuff in front of green screen and it allowed them to make their movie. I remember like kind of never really quite remembering the movie itself, but I always remember that behind the scenes element. So with searching, I asked our team, can we do the same thing? And, you know, we had a 13-day shoot, but seven days before that shoot started, seven weeks, I mean, sorry, we started editing our film. Wow. So we literally had the editors, Will and Nick, would just take screenshots of the internet, of, of our own computers, and started putting together an entire assembly of our entire movie, even before we were on set, even before we had some of our actors. And we used a niche to act out every single role or director you play the role of the father, the detective, and especially the 16-year-old teenage girl. And <laughs> after seven weeks, we had an entire hour and 40-minute version of our movie, and we screened that version to our crew the night before production so that they could be like, oh, that's what we're going to be making. We used that version of the movie to show the actors on set. Anytime they would have to be like looking in the right spot with their eyes because you know they're acting against basically a laptop screen with a GoPro on top of it, but the laptop didn't resemble what you're seeing in the movie. It just was a, practically a blank screen. Mm. And it's allowed us to know, okay, your eye is supposed to be one inch to the left. 
But the most important reason that we did that was because our goal with the end result of searching was for it to resemble like a polished Hollywood commercial studio movie. We didn't want to go off and just shoot the movie and then kind of figure out how to add the computer stuff afterwards. We wanted the film to have a, like a really the, like a polished, specific, disciplined look to it. And that meant knowing when we're shooting this one shot of David on the phone in the corner of the screen, what we're going to be seeing on the left side of the screen. So we can balance, you know, the mise-en-scene and all that kind of stuff. Yep. We, we kind of like had the actors wearing certain shades of color, keeping in mind that on this particular day – in the movie, this video will be shown next to a Gmail email, and that Gmail email is going to have the Gmail red mm-hmm. or the Facebook blue and stuff like that. And those are as much as we could. We wanted the movie to kind of end. Uh, when you when you watch the movie, you feel like you're watching something that was more specific and and polished, and rather than accidental or gritty. So those are those are just a taste of some of the challenges we had. Is that was that kind of answering the question? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it <laughs> it, it feels like you've added multiple layers to this film that you know on the second watch you will find something new something more within the film lots of different details um you've put a lot of thought into the film um in comparison to unfriended where it it all happened in real time there was it didn't feel like that had had that sort of uh, content uh fought out before um but yeah um but talking about cast as well um you've got a really great cast on board for this film what was it like working with this cast, particularly John Cho and, and Deborah Messing? Oh man, they were phenomenal. You know, like it, they're you know they're they're seasoned pros. You know, John's a movie star, Deborah's an enormous actress, and we were lucky to have them in the first place. Um, we you know we wrote the script for John. It was always David Kim in every draft of the script, and um, it's a credit to him. And you know we. Sometimes we even ask, like, John, why don't you do our movie, man? <laughs> and his response is always, he really valued the screenplay itself, the story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys would agree, but underneath the, like, you know, the obvious conceit of the movie and, like, the the factor of it being on a computer screen, we were trying to write something that would feel very traditional and, like, just a purely pulp mystery fictional novel or something. Mm-hmm. And he really resonated to that. And to the point that actually... He he was he kept asking whether we had to shoot it on computer screens, and he was like, "Hey, this would work mm-hmm. if we just had a real camera." But um, you know, he stuck with us, and and the way we ended up having them do their jobs was we would have you know we ended up finding this massive house in the valley in L.A. that had like thirteen rooms. In this house, we had multiple bedrooms that were dressed as uh, different characters' rooms. And we just had, uh, you know, John would have a laptop in, in the room that he was acting in. Mm. And Deborah would have a laptop in the room that she was acting in that resembles her home office in the movie. Mm. And we, were, we connected them via wires, via wires, and they were acting opposite each other on these computer screens. And the way the software that existed for us to do this was basically a home security system. So John was able to see Deborah in a tiny like cube, like probably the, like smaller than the size of your iPhone screen mm. on his laptop. And she could see him on her laptop. And what was frustrating was they could also see themselves. So we would often use tape on the screen of the laptop to cover up so they didn't mm. have to look at their own face. And in each of their ears, they had a little earwig, like a little tiny microphone, like even smaller than an AirPod. And they would perform the scenes and they could hear each other. And, you know, we would all be in a different room and Anish would be directing them via a walkie-talkie and coming in for tiny adjustments. Mm-hmm. So as much as we could, we tried to mimic the, like, the feeling of them really being together. 
Uh, a lot of times, especially with John, he had so many phone calls and video calls in the movie. We, we had a niche acting as the voice of the other person mm. because we, we hadn't cast those actors yet. Or were we going to like cast them after we finished editing in case we have to change lines? So there's an entire version of this movie in which it's John Cho acting against the niche and Natalie Kasabian, who's our other producing partner, um, sometimes acting as, as Deborah's performance. Um, so it, it's, it's this whole thing really felt like almost like how David's character, John's character, David, is trying to piece together the puzzle of what happened to his daughter. Like we would always joke. It was like we were also trying to piece together a puzzle of how to, how to make this movie in the first place. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting you should say that because I, I saw a, a, an interview with John where he was saying that one of his biggest challenges actually lo- looking at any screens was seeing his own face because uh, yep. he said that he, he, you know, he was he was not really up with the modern tech and he didn't use FaceTime that much um, and he did find that qu- quite interesting. So it's interesting you said about using sellotape to cover that up. Um, but how important was it to have an Asian-American uh, in the lead role and an Asian-American family depicted in a mainstream thriller? Because this is something we haven't actually really seen before. Right, right. I mean, it was it was both incredibly important and also not important at all. Mm. Anish is Indian-American. I'm Armenian-American. Our entire crew is so diverse that when we would show up to location scouts, people would say to us, are you guys the you know the United Nations? Like, <laughs> we, 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 like, literally, like... When we were writing the script, we just knew that we, we just wanted to put a different face on screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, in our mind, the movie is better because because of John and what he brings to the role. Um, in, in our mind, it was purely because it hadn't been done before. And, like, when, when we wrote the part for him and when we wrote the entire family, we also were very pointedly not making it an overtly Asian story. Mm. Like you know, we actually, I'm not going to lie, we got so many questions from people of like, why are they Asian? Like, well, this story doesn't have to be about Asian, so why are they Asian? And our, our only response would always be, why not? Exactly. Um, you know, we, we grow up in such a diverse parts of the country that we wanted to represent and reflect the people that we see around us all the time. And John is un, unarguably a movie star who has an pre- incredible performance in everything he's ever done. It just felt like the right thing to do. And it's just so funny because, you know, we shot this movie like about two years ago and it's just the fact that we've come out right in the tail of Crazy Rich Asians is such a beautiful coincidence or fate or whatever you want to call it. But we we believe that there should be movies that are about race and representation and diversity. We don't think Searching is one of them. You know, our, our goal with Searching is to be kind of like the future mm. where hopefully 10 years from now people look back at our film and go like, wait, what was the big deal? Like that it's starring mm. John Cho. Like how, like it's, it's, it's just like it happens to be starring him. It's not about that. So I know that's a long winded answer, but that was kind of our, that was entirely our approach going into it. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Um, what are your aspirations for the film? Is it, is it just good enough to get reviews or would you like this to go further with awards and box office success? Um, obviously, you heard our, our review about um, the Oscars. Um, you know, is that something that's possible? We'd, we'd actually really like to know about that. Um, I, I do hope our movie wins an Oscar. I'll be honest with you guys. But I'm being very specific when I say that because I really want that Oscar to be nominated and awarded to Will Merrick and Nick Johnson, the two editors of our movie. Mm. I, think, I think they deserve it. I think they deserve every accolade that they could possibly get in the sense that they single-handedly, or double-handedly, I should say, <laughs> uh, not only like did they do like countless hundreds of hours of work on this film, 
they came up with the system in the first place. They genuinely revolutionized what is possible with storytelling using editing. I mean, the movie is an ode to editing as far as we're concerned. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the things that we did, I don't know if you guys noticed this in the end credits, we invented an entirely new credit just for them. They're, edit- they're credited as the editors, but they're also credited as directors of virtual photography. And that's because, you know, most editors will take footage that you give them and manipulate that footage and assemble them and reorder them. These guys created the footage, right? But not in the way that animators and CGI artists do it. They, they did things that, to be quite frank, the computers couldn't handle. Um, you know, every single scene in this movie has at minimum 37 layers of video on, on the editing timeline. Wow. I'm getting technical again. And, you know, I remember when the movie ended and each got a gift for the editors and myself, which is like a massive, beautiful photographic print of our timeline that looks like the New York skyline because it's so massive. Um, in, the, in, the, in, the four, in, the, in the year and a half of us editing this film, we became quite religious, to be honest with you guys, very religious. And we started praying to this God. Are you guys familiar with the spinning rainbow God? Uh, <laughs> I can't say that I am. <laughs> Okay, so like on a Mac computer, if your computer crashes, ah, the this spin- like spinning, spinning wheel of death, the spinning wheel of death pops up, and yeah. every <laughs> oh yeah, every yeah. three hours that would just pop up, <laughs> and we would all jump on our knees and start praying to it, hoping that it wouldn't crash our system oh, and erase yeah. the last seven hours of progress. Yeah, and I, usually it would do exactly that. I have but been like, there myself, <laughs> my friend. I have been there myself. Exactly. So, so that, that was like, you know, it's just the, the feat that they had to overcome. And I hope that when audiences watch the film and enjoy it in, in a major way, I think they feel, I think you feel it, you know, like I think so much of that movie becomes seamless and the, and the acting and the story, all that fades away, but you can't ignore, like you're watching something that's never been seen before. So, you know, I'll, I'll say right now on the record, I hope we do get an Oscar and I hope it's Will and Nick you know, holding that, holding that trophy one day or what, or whatever comes their way. I mean, it doesn't have to be an Oscar, but they deserve all the recognition. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's, that's exactly what I said in, in my review. Um, whatever it is, particularly in terms of editing, I just thought the way this film was brought together and, and, and the message it gave across, it, it was absolutely superb. And it's been uh, fantastic to talk to you. Um, and this has been such, in our opinion, a fantastic film that we would like to know um, about any sort of other future projects you have, uh, anything you're working on at the moment that you can talk about. Obviously, we understand you won't be able to give us all the inside uh, gossip, but is there anything in the pipeline for for, for you uh, coming up? Uh, yes. Actually, Anish um, and myself and Natalie, um, who is our producing partner, we actually set up our next movie that we're going to be shooting very soon. So searching opens wide in America this weekend, August 31st. Mm. And basically like September 4th or so, we're going to be flying to Canada where we're going to be starting to prep and shoot our next movie. And this next movie is also a thriller and it also centers around a family. Um, and it's called run. And this time the movie is really going to be following, um, somebody as they're jogging through their neighborhood witnessing a crime unfolding and the entire movie takes place through the perspective of her apple iWatch. oh wow that is um i'm totally kidding by the way that is not true at all sorry it's, it's, sorry that was cruel this time 
It's called Run, and it's about a family, <laughs> but it has nothing to do with screens or devices or, or any or products. Or an iWatch. <laughs> or an iWatch. Craig's no just iWatch. got a new I mean, iWatch, so uh, oh, no. I didn't know what to say to that. I thought that would be an interesting perspective. Yeah, but, uh. <laughs> well, hopefully other filmmakers. No, but our next movie is, is, you know, we haven't said much about it, but it's really a story about a daughter realizing that her mother has kept a secret from her her whole life and trying to uncover it. We do have one nod to search in the movie, which I'll, I'll say right now. At one point, the daughter, um, you know, goes to her computer to try and desperately look for information about her situation on the Internet. But the moment she tries to do that, the Internet's disconnected. So it's kind of like our nod to, hey, this time we're not going to use the computer to, mm, to help yeah. solve a mystery. That's pretty cool. It's going to be just real, real actors, real locations, real cameras. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Week 18. That was uh, Dude, really interesting. thank you really guys, man. Cool, man. Thank you. You guys asked some great questions, and thanks for your patience with me as well. Welcome back. It is now time for our second review of the episode, which is Slenderman. Uh, now, this is a horror film which is based upon the internet game uh, carrying the same name, which I haven't played, but I do remember um, my brother playing it quite a few years ago. I think it came out about five, six years ago, this game. Oh, I think it was even longer than Maybe that. even longer. Did Did yeah. you play it, Craig? Yeah, no, I have fond memories of playing this game uh, around a friend's house and being introduced to the game uh, and being absolutely terrified of it. Yeah, so I think... If anything, the, the way to start this review off is to say I think this film's come out a little bit too late. It almost seems like they've they've missed the boat, really, um, with this concept. But nonetheless, what is this film about? Well, it's set in a small town in Massachusetts, uh, and a group of friends decide to try and summon the Slender Man by watching a video online. Um, all of them are initially scared, you know, as you would be by... Uh, watching a video of that nature. Yep. Um, but things uh, take a really dark turn for the worst when one of their friends vanishes. Uh, now, before I give my review, let's have a listen to a little clip in which uh, our teenage girls try to summon the Slender Man. All right, here it is. How to summon Slender Man. Guys, we so have to do this. Those who hear the three bells toll accept his invitation when you hear the first you must close your eyes keeping words unspoken opening your eyes only once you heard the third are you serious this is So there you have it. That's uh, a clip from the film. Uh, and I'm going to kick straight off in this review by saying that this uh, really isn't a very good film. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. One, the plot is very, very thin. Basically, watch this video uh, and then the Slender Man will haunt you either until you vanish, die or go insane. Um, and... And not only is the plot thin, there's almost no dialogue in this film. It's very, very weak on dialogue. So you're, 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 you spend a lot of the time just watching uh, these four girls sort of, after summering the Slender Man, wander around either individually or in a group, 
you know, looking out for him. There's lots of scenes where they're sort of walking through woods and nothing actually happens. But, you know, there's lots of leaves rustling. And over the top of it, we have this fairly uh, generic soundtrack that isn't really that effective. And, and a bit like Winchester, when we are scared as an audience, it's not actually because what we're seeing is scary. It's because, boo, bang, you know, there's a sudden... <laughs> noise and a face pops up and everyone screams and wow. it's it's all a bit predictable now i would say that this had the potential to be almost unwatchable but it isn't because actually the four uh female leads in it are really really good um and i genuinely do mean that craig i think they with with what they've been given not only in terms of script but material give some really fantastic performances so the dialogue they do have flows uh, very well. Um, hmm. They use really good physical uh, act, um, acting. Uh, their their voices and their faces show the fear uh, that they have, uh, and it's 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 a really standout performance by this cast, considering that they ha have almost nothing to work with. Um, one of the girls is, or I should say, one of the women is uh, Julia Goldani Tellez, um, who's brilliant in this. She's also in the affair which is into its fourth season. It's on Sky Atlantic, which is a fantastic series, by the way. Just thought I'd plug that. If you haven't seen The Affair, watch it. She's a very, very talented young actress. And she, along with her her, her other female leads, give really good performances with the limited material they've been given. But th the problem with the film is simply that there isn't much plot. You know what's going to happen before it happens. Mm. And... It's all a little bit cliche and it's it's very predictable. But it isn't completely hopeless. Like I said, there's good acting performances, but there is some some good scenes as well. Um, I think the use of the Slender Man is actually uh, poorly done. Um, I think the real fear is in not seeing him and wondering what he looks like. And once we see him and then repeatedly see him, the, the, the fear factor's actually lost. Yeah, and which is how the game kind of played out really you mm. you're all, always trying to evade him and 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 beat the slender man yeah um i'm i'm guessing they've done i, I obviously i haven't seen this film mm. um but i'm guessing that's how they sort of do this in in the in the film as well they they have to try and and evade him um, but once you've seen him you've lost that scare yeah so the tension's gone like i said if you, you you're not supposed to look at the slender man because if you look at him he'll either he'll either take you or or you'll go insane yeah. Uh, obviously, one of the girls vanishes, but the the idea of going mad is actually where the film does quite well. Um, some of the remaining characters that are left behind, having seen the Slender Man, do go into this world of insanity where a lot of their encounters with the Slender Man, we're not a hundred percent sure if they're real or if they're in their mind, and that is quite effective. And that sort of analysis that we get in this film of the breakdown of the human mind is is quite good. And if they'd have gone more down that route, hmm. I think it would have been more effective. But they went down this generic, boo, here's the Slender Man again. And like I said, once you'd seen him, um, he, he wasn't actually that scary. And he's most scary when you see him in sort of old black and white photos and you see him, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, that is creepy from yeah. what I've seen. Yeah, um, that creepy, like, you know, here's a picture of some kids on a school trip, and in the background there's a Slender Man. And when they're researching the history about him, that's, that's scary. But when he's on the big screen, like some sort of, you know, um, octopus, just there going, blah, 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 with his arms waving all over the place, that isn't actually scary. 
The fear is in what you think he is. Mm. And once you've seen him, that's lost. Um, so overall, it, it, it's really not a very good film. But nonetheless, it's better than I was expecting. Um, it got absolutely roasted on Rotten Tomatoes. I was having a, a laugh with Dan up at uh, Hemel Hempstead Cineworld. World. He was like, you love your Rotten Tomatoes, and I do. 8% the critics gave it on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that is poor. Um, which is, I mean... To Lower si- than low. Single figures is bad, bad. So I was expecting this to be awful. And like I said, it's not awful, and it's only not awful because the acting is very, very good. And there is some hope with it. And there are some bits that are quite effective. But overall, as a film... Um, it's 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 not very effective. So you can't ask me the question, Craig. David, Slender Man, is it worth it? No, uh, I don't think this is worth seeing in the cinema um, because it's 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 really not <laughs> very good. Um, however, I do think it's worth looking out for the uh, the lead actresses in this because I all, I think they all do a very very good job. But for me, uh, as as a Cineworld Unlimited card holder, mm. perhaps go and check it out. Um, but if you're not a Cineworld Unlimited card holder, I wouldn't be paying to go and see this uh, in the cinema because I think you'll come out disappointed. Yeah, maybe perhaps wait until it comes out on uh, Netflix, Amazon, or, or other streaming services, or play the game, or play the game. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if it's still available. Maybe we should play it now and then let people know if it's still available. I've never played it. Yeah, but let's have a look for that. Okay, so that's the end of my review of Slender Man. And I may be back with Craig in a few minutes to give you another review, or I may have been abducted. Following a major refurbishment at Jarman Square, which now offers a large selection of quality restaurants and activities, Cineworld Hemel Hempstead invites you to enjoy and experience their new facilities. IMAX. 3D. Super Screen. And a conveniently placed Starbucks. If you want to see any of the latest releases, including The Incredibles 2, Mission Impossible Fallout, or Ant-Man and the Wasp, then head to Cineworld Hemel Hempstead in partnership with Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Welcome back. Um, I'm still alive. We didn't play the Slender Man game because we we couldn't download it on Craig's fancy laptop. Uh, so I'm still alive. However, Craig is nearly dead. Um, he's sat next to me. That's a bit extreme. In a hoodie with a lemsip. He's coming down with the man flu. But nonetheless, he will battle on for the sake of our listeners. And he will now be reviewing our third film of the show, which is The Festival. Indeed. Um, if I do sound like I'm coming down with the, with the flu a little bit, it's definitely not man flu. Okay, it's just a common cold. A common cold, maybe, yes. Uh, Anyway, so, the festival. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's have a look at this one, shall we? So, the festival, it's graduation day, and Nick and best friend Shane are super excited. Uh, But when Nick's girlfriend breaks up with him before the ceremony, Nick has a little bit of an embarrassing breakdown. Uh, So, what's the best way of getting over a dumping, David? Go to a festival. Well, yeah, go to a festival. <laughs> um, so Ian Morris returns to the director's chair after the, after the success. I'll get those words out properly. Um, <laughs> after the success of the Inbetweeners uh, and brings a slew of the Inbetweeners cast with him. Uh, so Nick, who is played by Joe Thomas, who played Simon in the Inbetweeners. Uh, and then we've got Hannah Toynton as well, who plays Nick's girlfriend again, because um, she played Nick's girlfriend in the... Uh, or played Simon's girlfriend. In the and aren't Spears. they actually married in real life? I believe they are together in real life in some form or another. Um, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's a few other in-betweeners cast members in there, but none, none of the big members, just a few of the uh, uh, sort of lower-end cast members mm. from the in-betweeners are in there as well. Uh, but the question on everybody's lips is, was this film different to the in-betweeners? Um, 
a little bit, but not really. Mm. Um, there was a lot of hilarious moments in this film, um, but there was a lot more that fell on um, deaf ears, really. It, it just didn't really have the impact like the Inbetweeners did, especially the first Inbetweeners movie. This film um, felt very short of um, being a really good film, unfortunately. Um the standout performance came from Shane's, uh, from the actor who plays Shane, uh, who's played by uh, Hamid Ananamasham. Uh, I'm sorry if I've pronounced that wrong. Um, <laughs> I know we shouldn't laugh, but it's a good effort because that is a that is a difficult one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I do apologise. Um, but the, the the film it is harking back to the in betweeners. There's not a lot of different um, aspects to the film, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of people were hoping that this would be a, an evolution of the in-betweeners, mm. I think. Um, but it just didn't hit the mark at all. Um, Ian Morris um, gave it a good effort, but I think because he brought in a lot of the in-betweeners cast members from before, it just didn't work. And Joe Thomas's performance, he just played Simon. Mm. And do you, do you think it's a case, Craig? I haven't seen this film, but from what I saw of the trailer, it looks like in-betweeners humour from people that have fundamentally outgrown that, those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 100%. I mean, there's a lot more slightly cruder things that go on in this film. Um, and mm. there's a lot of references to drug use and a lot of drug use on screen as well, which I think was a little bit over the top, but perhaps quite realistic. I'm, mm. I'm not 100% sure on that fact, but I mean, it, it, it really does reference that quite a lot. Um, the... I mean... It's really difficult to sum this film up in the sense that whether or not it's worth going to see in the cinema because it is a laugh um, and it is a film that I'd say go and see it with your mates. Um, but it's probably a film that you could watch at home and, and enjoy equally as seeing in the cinema or maybe more so at home because you can actually be a bit louder. You can get all the sweets and popcorn in and really be quite you know, comfortable at home watching it. Mm. Um it is just very unfortunate that it does take that turn. I'm I'm sorry to say that. I know a lot of people were expecting great things from this film, but it really doesn't live up to to the standards that we expect from an in between as writers and directors, etc. Um, I mean, there's some nice uh, uh, appearances from Noel Fielding. I mean, he had a nice little cameo in there, and I do like Noel Fielding. Mm. Um, but apart from that. David, you can ask me the question already. I'm mate. going to ask you the question. Craig, the festival, is it worth it? <laughs> no, I actually don't think it is worth it. Um, certainly wait until it comes out on streaming services um, and watch it at home with your mates. It's, it's the sort of thing I can see being quite popular on Netflix, actually. I think from what you've said, it sounds like one of those films that you're going to have a few laughs out of, but it's probably more suited to a home environment as opposed to paying to go and see in the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like a downward uh, 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 downward spiral for these sort of films. I mean, the first in between this film was absolutely superb. The second one wasn't quite so good. And now this just, the, the jokes aren't becoming funny anymore. Uh, I mean, there was rumours of, of, of in between is coming back, wasn't there? there there's always rumours of that. Um, I I, I think they may do it maybe in another 10 years or so. I, for one, would like to see what they did with American Pie, the reunion yeah, and have an in-betweeners film where they've, they've grown up. Like you said, it's further down the line. Maybe they've got wives and kids and it really pulls the whole series to a, to a close and, and almost like some of the characters in American 
part of the reunion, they've developed and grown and matured a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know why we've got onto the in-betweeners, but alas. I think I, there's no... There's no other way. No, you, you can't talk about this film without talking about the in-betweeners because it is an extension of the in-betweeners, yeah. unfortunately, which it didn't need to be. But thank you very much, Craig. A very good review uh, from a very ill man. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm sorry if I don't sound very enthusiastic or anything. It's just my voice. I, I, I have a head cold of some sort. Um, yeah, sorry about that, guys. No worries. Thank you, Craig. So our next review we're taking a look at is Black Klansman. Um, so this is a true story um, directed by Spike Lee. And it's the true story of Ron Stallworth, who successfully infiltrated the KKK in Colorado. Um, Ron is played by John Washington, and he is one of the first black police officers who goes in with higher ambitions. And when he gets the chance to go undercover, he takes it. Um, he's promoted because he does good work undercover. And uh, whilst he's working, he reads an ad in a local paper, um, which has been put in there by the KKK to get new members. Um, He rings a number and convincingly sets up a meeting. Now, Ron, being black, can't go to this meeting um, (laughs) for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, So he gets Flip, who is a fellow fellow detective within the Colorado State Police Force, um, to impersonate himself. Um, but Flip has reservations. Um, let's take a listen to a clip that we've got here. I didn't want to say we're trapped, but that pecker would have had a gun in my face. And he was an ass hair away from pulling the trigger. And he didn't. But he could have. And then I would have been dead. For what? Stopping some jerk-offs from playing dress-up? Flip, it's intel. Well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie hot dog white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. And why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my f-ing business. It's our business. I'm going to get you your membership card so you can go to the cross burning and get in okay. deeper with these guys. Right, partner? And there you have it. Yeah, that's an absolutely fantastic clip. And I think it really epitomizes what this film's about. It is so charged. It's racially charged, politically charged. And in that clip there, you've obviously got um, Flip Zimmerman, who is Jewish. And and he's obviously saying, for me, this is a job, but for you, it's a crusade. And that is that is poignant, you know, mm-hmm. coming coming from... Um, a, a Jewish man. He's he's trying to focus on the job, whereas um, obviously our our protagonist Ron is really almost going above and beyond the the job role because he sees the injustice in American society. And as the film um, develop develops, Flip Zimmerman also starts to to see the real toxicity that 
uh, is in the KKK. And I'm going to kick straight off with this film review by saying it's fantastic. Um, it, It really, really is. And of all the films I've seen since doing this podcast, this is the first one I really, really, really wanted to see again since Three Billboards. I saw Three Billboards um, three times, surprisingly. Um, and, you know, that was nominated for uh, a best a best picture at the Oscars and came very close to winning it. And I think this is definitely going to get a, a best picture nomination. And it wouldn't surprise me to see it, you know, really, really close uh, come the final ceremony because it is so poignant craig for for not only historically but for today yeah yeah no i completely agree with you on that front and i i love what spike lee has actually done with this film um when you're watching it you do get a real sense of style and it really puts you in the era but even with like the the, the way it's shot and the way it looks um in the sense that you get this real film grain um, ingrained in the film, and 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 as you say, the, the the history parts, and then and then the present day parts as well that are in the film, which are really hard hitting. Um, Spike Lee really loves to do those sort of um, those things in his films, and yeah, I I mean that, that the ending is so hard hitting. Mm. Um, you know, the the rest of the film as well is really hard hitting as well. It but it does sort of meander along a little bit. I agree But you with that, forgive yeah. it for that because it's just so well scripted. Mm. Um, it's very humorous as well. There's lots of funny parts in it. Um, and I think Adam Driver as Flip Zimmerman is just fantastic. I, I John uh, Washington as Ron Stallworth is brilliant as well. Um, Spike Lee has clearly taken a few creative liberties within the story. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the story, have a look and see online. There's loads of things online about the story where he's taken those those liberties. But you will also find out that the things that you think are not true mm. within the film. Um, that you think he's taken those creative liberties with actually turn out to be true. So it's worth looking that up if you want to want to find out a bit more about the film. But it is it is a great film, isn't it? It's really really good. Yeah, it's just it's just so solid. You know, it's not action packed. It's not you know it doesn't blow you away throughout the film. But it's just at a constantly solid um, level. And it, like you said, it's got such a brilliant script and two uh, phenomenal performances from the two lead actors. And, you know, when I was watching this, there were times where I I almost had my head in my hands just with the racial inequality that's obviously being shown from the 1970s. And and I thought about what was I going to say when doing this review? And I was going to I was going to say, you know, you don't have to go back far in the history books to see racial inequality in America. Mm. Well, actually, you don't have to go into the history books at all. It's happening now. It's still happening now. And this film literally takes that. And at the end, I I have not seen a film, possibly ever, that has such a powerful ending. It's like the director walks out of the, out of the cinema screen, grabs you by the shirt, and punches you in the face, and says, "There you go. What are you going to do about that?" It is such a hard hitting ending, and for that reason, I want to see it again. And for that reason, I think this film is going to be, um, you know, really talked about. I think you, you look at the reviews; it's got fantastic statistics on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety five percent of critics like it, mm. which is higher than the audience. Um, uh, percentages and it's simply because it's it's powerful Craig it, it really is a powerful powerful film yeah and, and I, I know I said with the clips that he uses the, the real real life clips that people have mm. shot that makes it 
such a well-rounded film. He really makes it that politically charged element just by using footage that other people have shot, things mm. that have happened. Real footage as Real well. footage. Um, and he inserts that throughout the film, weaving it in so delicately and, and so hard-hitting-wise. Like it just, It's just superbly done. Yeah, and what, I'm, I'm going to mention one particular scene where um, an elderly black gentleman comes to do a talk to mm. the um, Black Student Union and he goes into graphic, graphic detail about what happened to a friend of his at the hands of uh, white police officers and 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 white citizens, and it it makes you it it just makes you wretch, you know. It's it's horrific, mm. and there's no other way to describe it than that. And you know, this is something that I really want to see again, and it may be one of those films that's even better the second time round. Um, 100% no doubt this is going to get a nomination for Best Picture at the Oscars um, and deservedly so I think because I think this is the best Spike Lee's given us for a long time possibly yeah. ever yeah I completely agree with you um, I'm, I'm just thinking what films have we seen recently that follow a similar politically charged underlying plot almost um, but just doesn't succeed What what film was that can you remember it would have been the purge. Yeah, I, yeah, that's the one. Um, uh, or the the first purge. Yeah, the first purge. That was the one that I'm thinking of. And you know, I'm glad I'm glad we're singing off the same hymn yeah, sheet because no, that, no. that would have been awkward if I'd have said Hotel Transylvania three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, yeah. Um, Politically charged. The purge definitely had the ambitions of Black Klansman almost. Mm. Obviously set in in modern day times, but just did not succeed in doing what. Black Klansman did. Um, well, yeah, because what The Purge did was make a really violent film. So it had a political message, which most people would agree with, about the inequality and the injustice within the American political and social system. But it tried to get that across by having brutal murders. This has very, very little violence. Hence mm. why some people might say it's a bit slow, it's a bit boring. But for me, and I love a gritty drama, it isn't because the script, it's like Jesus himself wrote this script. It is, <laughs> it is just solid. Yeah, no, it really is. So, David, Black Klansman, is it worth it? Yes, this is one of the films of the year so far. It is a powerful film. I think it's going to upset people. I think it's going to... Uh, open people's eyes. I think some people might even be angered by it, and rightly so. Um, it's a powerful, powerful film. I can't wait to see it again, and I urge people to go and see this film yeah. in the cinema. I saw it in Super Screen. I'd recommend doing the same. It's not, you know, it doesn't have to be seen, but see it, particularly for the ending, the biggest, loudest screen you can. Yeah, I agree. Go and see this film. So our next review is The Happy Time Murders. This is directed by Brian Henson and stars Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Banks and Ryan Tran, who is our lead protagonist mm, puppet, not Muppet, because they're not Muppets, because that's the Muppet show. Mm. Um, and uh, he's, play, he's playing Phil. David, um, give us a little bit of a synopsis of, as to what this film's about. <laughs> well, I, I will attempt to, Craig, but this film really is pretty limited when it comes to plot. Um, but fundamentally, what we have is we have a world where puppets and humans coexist, 
but they don't coexist equally. Uh, and as you said, our main puppet protagonist, Phil, uh, used to be part of the LAPD. He was the first puppet to be allowed to work in the police force. However, after failing to take a decisive shot in a standoff situation, um, he was dismissed from the LAPD, disgraced um, and dismissed because the humans claimed that puppets wouldn't shoot puppets and puppets shouldn't be in the police force. So he then becomes a private detective, um, meets a fairly ropey <laughs> client who comes to him uh, to try and uh, seek some help. And as he's on this case, he comes across a murder. A number of puppets are quite explicitly shot and literally blown to smithereens. But what he works out or what becomes evident, uh, what becomes evident is that the cast of a 1990s uh, children's TV show starring puppets um, are being killed off one by one. And it's up to Phil and Melissa McCarthy to work out who is carrying out these murders and to save the rest of the puppets. Should we have a little li- listen to a clip, shall we? Is is there a clip that we can play? Does it, it does it warrant a clip? Well, if you've got a clip, let's listen to it. Yeah, let's find one. So, searching the uh, internet for a clip um, shows that we. Uh, can't find anything suitable for the podcast. And do, do you know what, Craig? I think that sums this film up. I think it really does because we have spent the last 20 minutes looking for a clip that's suitable, you know, for people who li- listen to this podcast, including children, and, they, and there just simply wasn't one. Um, and, and that really sums the film up because this is a really, really crude comedy with some pretty, almost disgusting humour, really in your face. And I'll be honest, some of it does make you laugh, some of it. But for me, it was just far too full on and Mm. far too just clueless. It's not smart comedy, just sort of reckless comedy. There was, like I said, there was limited plot, limited uh, development of the characters. And it just felt like the director was almost trying to squeeze as many laughs in as as he thought were funny in the amount of time that he had. It was like bang, 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 bang. Funny you should say that because I did watch an interview where Brian Henderson does say that this was uh, preview screened for a number of audiences, you know, test screens. um, And the reason that um, there's barely any character development is because they took out a lot of the scenes that had no laughs in, which he which he claims had um, a lot of the character development in and they left in everything that those test screen um, audiences laughed at mm. and what you're left with fundamentally is a, is a film that's supposed to have lots of laughs uh, and very little plot and character development and he's blaming you know the fact that these test screenings um, and, and, and the uh, distribution company who um, you know made him take out these scenes um, for, for that but to be honest with you um, I think even with these character development parts in it, I don't think this is still going to be a movie that mm. we would say would be good. Um, even even the, a better word to describe this would be unbelievably poor, and that's two words, but <laughs> just, just, just ridiculously bad. Mm. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not been well received by the critics, you know, 20, 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone knows I love my Rotten Tomatoes. And I think that's generous, really, because, look, that... There are laughs in this, and you will laugh, and some people may m- laugh more than others, but as a film, it it really is just 
not well made. And Melissa McCarthy as well. She's not very good in this. No. You know, she 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 genuinely isn't. Like she just looks almost like she's there for the paycheck. She doesn't look committed to the project. I think a lot of that's down to the script as well because it, there is just nothing to work with with this film. The the script is just terrible. The dialogue is just awful. Mm. Um and ultimately this film I think was was you know, the crew had more fun making this film than the audience will have. Um, There's a certain audience I think will have a lot more fun watching this. Mm. Um, And I mean, audiences that like Team America World Police will like this. Saying that, I liked Team America World Police. I think that was done very well and Mm. I think that had a decent script as well. It had decent dialogue and it was funny. Mm. This... I laughed at a couple of scenes. I mean, I awkwardly laugh at one scene in particular that was just outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wh- when we say outrageous, we, I mean, we couldn't even say what the scene was. But if you see this film, you'll know the scene we're referring to. It, it is outrageous. Um, and it's funny you said about, you know, it almost felt like they had more fun making this than we did watching it. One of the best bits of the film was actually at the end. Yeah. When we, when we saw them making the film and laughing on set. And look, I have no doubt that this would have been hilarious to work on. Really fun to make, really fun to be involved in. That doesn't mean that we as an audience are going to enjoy watching it. And without any emotional attachment to the characters, do I care that I'm watching a load of puppets who were on a on a fictional 1990s American TV show be killed. No. In an Kill them quicker. In graphic way. Yeah, and, and also, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, heads blown off, torn to pieces by dogs. You know, we're talking pretty brutal killings. Dark humour. But it, not dark humour, Craig, because dark humour works just... <laughs> Unnecessary. Not even subtle, was it? And, was and, when, no and when you see suspense built up no, in those murders, either. no. And, and when you see these puppets one by one being killed off, why would we care as an audience if we have no emotional attachment to them whatsoever? So overall, look, there's a few laughs in it. There's a few moments that I mean, this is the sort of film that people will walk out of. I'm certain there'll be certain people that go and go and see this film and halfway through they say, no, this isn't for me. Mm. Um, and I and I think that's because it is just very, very crude and it's it's just uh, a not very smart comedy. So I think I'm going to ask you the question, Craig. Go on then. Craig, The Happy Time Murders, is it worth it? No. No, definitely not. I mean, it's not worth seeing... In, on the big screen and passing your hard-earned cash with. I mean, if you're an unlimited card holder like we are, maybe it's worth going to see just to see what the fuss is about. But even then, I don't think maybe it's worth it. I don't even think it's worth watching when it comes out on streaming services or on DVD at all either. So, um, no, not worth it. Yeah, I totally agree. Interesting premise, promising cast in many ways, but poorly executed and honestly not worth it. I, I really wouldn't bother with this film. Yes, it's that part of the show where we give you the latest news from the industry. The film world. The, the film world, yes. So I'm going to kick off the uh, the news with a bit of news about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. The production has been put on hold. Um, uh, well, obviously, 
with writer and director James Gunn um, exiting the film or being fired from the film, um, Kevin Feige has to find a new director. So with that in mind, the actors don't really want to be left in limbo. So they're probably signing on to do other films and therefore the film is has been put on hold. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. The film is still going to get made, but it's going to be delayed by some considerable time, I believe. Um, so that's my bit of news or the first bit of news anyway. Um, and I only have one piece of news this week because um, oh. I think it's really quite important. Uh, Oscar season is officially underway now uh, that Damien Chazelle's space race drama First Man has opened the 2018 Venice Film Festival. Now, why do I want to mention this in the news? Obviously, I'm already excited for the Oscars, which will be March 2019. But it's the reviews that have been given to this film already, I think need to be mentioned. Mm. Uh, Owen Gleiberman, or Gleiberman, uh, who is a top uh, American film critic, and he's been the, uh, the chief critic for Variety uh, since May 2016, has come out with some pretty bold claims about this film. Um, he has said that it makes the true-life uh, space drama Apollo 13 look like a puppet show. Um, he's also said that this is the saving Private Ryan of space films in the way that it immerses you into the experience. And First Man is the current uh, bookmaker's favourite to uh, um, win Best Picture, uh, and its price has considerably dropped. And let me just tell you this. If if these statements are even 50% true, Craig, then we may well be looking at um, the, the Best Picture of the year. To say it makes uh, Apollo 13 look like a puppet show and it's the Saving Private Ryan of space movies is really exciting. It's out in October um, and I'm really looking forward to it. So am I, I am, you know, Whiplash, fantastic, fantastic film. La La Land did really well at the Oscars and was a great film. Yeah, as well. same director. And obviously Ryan Gosling is playing Neil Armstrong and Ryan Gosling is a superb actor. He is really, really top stuff. Yeah. So, really so that's the that. one piece of news from me. Um, so going from Oscars, we're now um, going to be looking at another piece of news that is sort of on par, sort of. It's um, October time, which means uh, we've got the BFI Film Festival in London, um, which many films uh, are opening there. We've got, um, what have we got? Steve McQueen's crime thriller Widows is going to be opening at uh, the BFI Film Festival. We've got a Laurel and Hardy biopic. Um there's loads of stuff going on there. I'm going to give you a full rundown of that um, in the description of the podcast so you can have a look. But yeah, every year there's some really, really good films that play there. Um, and if you've got the time to go and do, go there, go on the BFI website, see if you can book some tickets and go to it. It's on the South Bank, obviously, at the BFI. Um, and and, and will we'll be really, really, really good. Um, obviously, that's not so much news, but there will be a premiere of Terry Gillen, Gilligan's um, long-awaited comedy as well. Um, the man who killed Don Coguito. I think that's how you say it. Don't know if I've got that right or not, but this has been in production for so many years. Like it's rumored that it would, it would never come to screen. There's been <laughs> so many, um, lawsuits up against it from producers and people who fronted money up against it. Um, so it's finally finished and it's finally going to be premiering. Um, I did see the trailer some, a uh, few months back and it looks like it's going to be really, really good. So I might even go and see that myself. And in other news, a Russian diver has had his camera equipment stolen by a crazed octopus. 
And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. I thought you were coming in with this one. Oh no, I thought you would come in and then ask me what the film's about. Okay. Welcome back. We're now taking a look at The Spy Who Dumped Me. Uh, David, you've got a synopsis in your head. Would you like to regale us with that synopsis? I will do indeed. So, um, yes, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Uh, This film is about Audrey, played by Mila Kunis, and Morgan, played by uh, Kate McKinnon. Uh, And they're two 30-year-old best friends who are living in uh, Los Angeles, and they find themselves very suddenly and unexpectedly thrown into the midst of an international conspiracy. The chaos begins as Audrey is bundled into the back of a van and informed that her ex-boyfriend is actually an undercover agent. Um, He then later turns up at the apartment and um, he has a group of assassins on his trail and with a blaze of gunfire, um, our movie begins. It's then up to our two female protagonists to travel to Europe upon the instructions of Audrey's ex to work out what the hell is going on. And what the hell is going on? Well, um, they are given a statue which looks very similar to an Oscar and we're told that this is of great importance and there's various gangs and governments and others uh, who, who are looking for this um, and they're told to protect it and go to Vienna um, and it's a typical sort of um, thriller really but it's not only a thriller, it's also a comedy um, and that's really where this film um, succeeds. I mean, the thriller, em- thriller elements are good, but you're not getting the, the quality in terms of action that you get in, say, Mission Impossible, and you're not getting the substance um, that a good thriller has in terms of plot. Yeah, so I, I think at the beginning of the film, it does start off rather well in terms of the action that we've got coming in. Um, Kate McKinnon is just superb in the comedy role she is mm. really 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 good Mila Kunis she's you know Mila Kunis at yeah, the end of the day there's exactly nothing, what I was going to say nothing else um, to really say about her she's great but um, you know playing herself almost or playing other characters that she's played before it, there's nothing to shout home about really um, I mean Mila Kunis is just solid you know if, if you want a rom-com she's got to be one of the there. F- she, yeah. she's one of the first yeah, yeah. you go to but uh, Kate McKinnon is superb in this she she is she brings a stand- standout performance mm, she's genuinely funny but funny in a way that almost doesn't seem like she needs any direction it's like here's your lines do what the hell you want and she really does that and there's a lot of good comedy and you know I saw the trailer to this film and it really made me want to see it. But I was obviously concerned that most of the laughs would be in the trailer and therefore there wouldn't be much else in the film. But but that wasn't the case. You know, there were a lot of funny moments, uh, a particular scene with an Uber driver where, you know, they're in the back of an Uber and, and they inform this Uber driver that they're being pursued by armed criminals and the Uber driver loves it. You know, he, he, he drives like an absolute maniac yeah, and yeah. it is genuinely hilarious. So there is plenty to see in this film that isn't in the trailer. But I would still say, if you could avoid the trailer, do so, because there's some very funny bits in the trailer that um, obviously it'd be better if you saved it for the film. Um, you know, some some of the elements are a little cliche. And actually, I think one of the most annoying elements of the film is the rom-com aspect. Mm. So the thriller element, you know, the, um, the action movie element of it works quite well. The comedy works well, but the romantic element isn't needed. You've got two big female Hollywood actors 
smashing their performances. We don't need what is fundamentally a, 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 a male straight off the model line, just sort of thrown into the film for the sake of there to, to be a romance. It doesn't need that. The, the women are good enough on their own. It's strange to... that the director took that route, to be honest with you. Mm. It, 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 the, the film is about female women who are taking on a typical man role almost. Mm. And it's having that element in there it sort of softens it a little bit um yeah yeah kind no, it of, definitely you kind does. of want the the strong female characters to be strong female characters and and you know and say you know we don't need that romantic element because you know and why why do you need that element in there it just didn't add to the story the ex-boyfriend is pretty unlikable actually isn't he um and then the the other romantic element the 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 british agent like i said he's you know a very handsome man but he's just that talk you know almost like um he's, it's almost that hugh grant role you know here i am i'm the you know attractive englishman and i'm just here for the sake of it and it doesn't need it because actually the, the the two of them are, are perfectly good enough on their own yeah i know i completely agree and i i would like to say that i i just don't think these male characters even need to be in the film to carry the plot along the plot can could move quite easily without them being in there as plot devices mm. um one yeah. thing that did take me slightly by surprise with this film is that it is quite graphic some of the some of the scenes particularly that restaurant scene i mean there is a lot of gunfire and knives and some like quite in your face, yeah, graphic I violence. I quite enjoyed that bit, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, simply because it Psycho. reminded me of Kingsman, um, yeah, and, yeah. and and the fight scenes within that. And I actually enjoyed that scene. Um, and with the added humour built into it, mm. it added quite a lot to the film. But after that, you didn't get much more of that at all. And the film kind of needed more of that. I mm. think. No, no, I, I'm not saying it, I didn't enjoy it. I was just surprised from the trailer. I wasn't mm. expecting there no, to no, be yeah. that sort of almost Tarantino-esque violence. Uh, ooh, what was that? That was my stomach. Are you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> well, anyway, let's uh, let's round this review up. David, uh, the spy who dumped me. Is it worth it? Yes, you know this. Th this is worth going to see. It's it's funny. There's there's some good action. You know, it's it's not flawless. It's it's solid. And um, Kate McKinnon uh, steals the show. She's hilarious. And her next film, I'll be there, front row, no doubt. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think it's definitely worth going to see in the cinema. It's, uh, you know, wait for it to come out in streaming services if you want to go and see something else in the cinema, if you don't go that often. But as an unlimited card member holder, go, go and see it. It's worth it 100%. Mm. DVDs. Yes, it's that time again where we talk about, rather than DVDs, it's uh, films that have newly released from the cinema. DVD sounds better for the jingle. Yeah, I don't. Newly released films, newly released films doesn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> um, but two films that are coming out um, on DVD, Blu-ray, streaming services, etc. that I would like to recommend to our lovely listeners. First one is Avengers Infinity War. It's out on the 3rd of September. Um, and it's a real superb film, um, quite emotional. And if you haven't seen it, it is well worth buying on DVD. And also, if you'd like something along the same lines, a superhero film, but a little bit more lighthearted, then why not head down to your local DVD store 
um, or Blockbuster, (laughs) (laughs) no longer exists, (laughs) and purchase Deadpool 2, um, which is out on September the 7th. Um, I don't think it was quite as good as the original, but nonetheless, a fantastic film, plenty of laughs. So that's Avengers Infinity War and Deadpool, both coming out. On DVD? DVD? <laughs> and other and services. Blu-ray and other services. Um, and obviously, yes, both, both well worth a watch at home as well as being in the cinema. So, yeah. DVD, DVD. Is it worth it? DVDs. Thank you very much for listening to week 18 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. David has had a slight accident. What an absolute tragedy. Um, right at the last minute. My chair was breaking it was weakened and as i tried to move it back it has literally collapsed and shattered beneath me and i have just stacked it uh, and we actually have a friend here at the moment who's who's just popped along to 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 watch us record the end of the show and she's caught it on camera um pretty devastating stuff it will probably be all over social media uh, you've been framed etc um, yeah i'm sending that into you've been framed and i will be claiming the uh, was it 300 pounds 250 i think Is that it? It was t- stingy tight, isn't it tight Anyway, <laughs> um, I believe we have a tweet, Mr. Fields. Yes, we do. We do love it when you guys get in contact with us. Mm. And we've got a tweet here about Black Klansman. Uh, and this is from at M-S-S-G-T-T-Y. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to pronounce that, <laughs> um, so I won't. Um, mm. Black Klansman is a brilliant film, heart-wrenching and funny at times and very relevant to modern day. Spike Lee is back on form and it was a delight to see his signature footprints throughout the film. One of the best films I've seen this year and I couldn't agree with you more. Yes. Free tickets. Yes, you're pointing at me. Free tickets. She shall get some free tickets. Two free tickets. tickets. Uh, Mr. Fields will attempt to contact you via email or Twitter or however he does it because he does everything else. He's very talented in that uh, respect. Indeed. Um, we have got uh, a few other messages and emails, but they're not so relevant because some of the f- they were about mm. films before and we've had such a packed out show. We won't um, read all of them out or any of them out, the rest of them. Yeah, and... Um, but thank you to mm. James, who regularly emails in uh, the Gaming Bear on Twitter, who's uh, tweeted us a few times mm. um, and a few other people as well on there. You guys are great. We love hearing from you. So keep doing it. Um, and we will give tickets to those who we uh, read out uh, emails and comments on. Mm. Um, please, you can contact us via many methods. David, what are those methods? Oh, you've sprung this on me. Obviously, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, or you can email us at mymailisworthit at gmail.com. Oh, you got that right. Well done. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, swipe right on the uh, on Tinder for me. You know, um, you say this every single week. Um, Have you got a, a match yet? No. Still no matches? No. It's, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You, should, you know what you should do? I, I, there's, there's a test. Do you think it's because you're bald? Possibly. Now, I don't want to be baldest, but... <laughs> Are you saying we should Photoshop some hair on and it's no, just going to go crazy? buy a wig and see if it no, makes I'm a difference. No, I'm not buying just a wig. Just for a laugh. I'm not buying a wig. If it works, people... Women are baldest. <laughs> women are baldest, Craig. Well, I'm just... Let me tell you, the bald man is a very attractive man. Jason Statham. My God, it's Megalodon. Bruce Willis. Tony Blair. You'd swipe right for these <laughs> men on Twitter. On, I would. On Tinder. I would. Look, embrace the baldness. What would be good is mm-hmm. if you, the professional photographer, did some face shots for me. 
and see if see if that helps. But anyway, alas, we're not talking about my failed love life anymore. I did want to end the show by saying I went to see Christopher Robin again uh, since doing the review. I went to see it with my mum and dad. Um, and not only did I much uh, prefer it the second time round, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. And it was for a number of reasons. The audience was so much better than the first time. There was more laughter. There was more engagement. I think it really helped being in between my mum and my dad because when I went before, I was on my own, and that's always a little bit difficult. Yeah, we did sit quite far apart, didn't mm, we? We did. Still issues with the film. It's still not as brilliant as I wanted it to be. But there were, again, second time round, there are a number of times where I really wanted to cry. It, it, is a, it is a good film. Maybe I was a little bit harsh in my critique. But um, Jim Cummings, Winnie the Pooh, he is adorable. Um, so there we go. Um, I believe that is the end of the show. Yes. Um, did, we, did we thank Sev O'Hanian? No, no, we didn't. Sev, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us on the phone from L.A. Uh, a fantastic interview, also an exclusive about some of the other work that he's got coming up. Uh, it was a real delight to speak to him. Um, and I think we should round things off because, you know, the chair, like my love life, has fallen apart and I don't want to haven't. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Where are you going with this? I don't want to have another chair break under me live on air. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us, don't as buy... we said earlier. Ah, don't no. buy wooden chairs no. from... Uh, Another bit of advice, don't buy second-hand furniture. Oh, is it from charity shop? It was a charity shop. Can't really take it back, can you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no.